We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is titled Purposeful Suffering. I want to use the passage of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And it says this. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I know that that passage of scripture, when it comes to suffering, a lot of times is used just to deflect or bring peace to a situation or push a situation under the rug. And a lot of times it's misinterpreted when it comes to suffering. I'm going to use that passage of Scripture because we've been going through this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount called Salt and Light. And I want to take the theme of suffering and weave this Scripture through it and come at it at a different angle. Well, last week I talked about early Christians and how they engaged in practices that form their character. Their habitus, we talked about it. This is more than just a habit. It is how we interpret the world and how we respond to that world around us. Well, this is very important in our day because we need to form good habitus because the world is so reactive. Well, a transformed life doesn't just happen automatically. It takes patience and work. It takes intentionality. And it also sometimes takes suffering. These are the things that when we are fully engaged in them, they form good habitus. Well, early Christians knew from Jesus that when they signed up in following Jesus, they were signing up actually to engage in some sort of suffering as promised. There was a promise, though, that they understood that God would use the suffering of his people for good things, that it wouldn't just be in vain. So in Revelation 6, when at the end of the Bible, when the fifth seal is open, the martyr is mentioned, so even the blood of those who died for Christ was not in vain. The blood of the martyr was used for good even in the end of time and for all of eternity. So this sermon is built on these concepts and the idea of habitus. Well, I love this scripture, and I'm going to read it again, Romans 8, 28. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, there's something very interesting that I want to pull right out of the very beginning of this passage, and I want to point this out for us first. And it's this phrase, we know that God works. This is the first realization that we need to understand and try to grasp, that God is working. Even when we don't feel, think, or perceive even the presence or the idea that God is with us or the notion of God, God is working. Well, a lot of times in my suffering, I don't sense God around. It's very hard to experience the presence of God in the midst of the presence of suffering. And this is why it's very important that we rely on the faith of our past and reflect on the history of God in our lives and how he has worked throughout our lives. Very easily we get disillusioned in our suffering and pain. And this is when we need to rely on the spiritual markers 
throughout our history, and sometimes we feel in such desert experiences that we hearken back to even our baptism for that marker. God was there, and that gives us confidence that God is still here. Well, intellectually, I can reason that God brings a purpose to all of my suffering, and that's kind of a pithy statement, right? But standing objectively on this side of the resolve of my suffering, I can see that there was a purpose and a plan that God was using it for good. Well, emotionally, though, I get wrapped up in the ups and downs, and I lose track of even where God is, and I can't see objectively. Well, I want to take this phrase, God working together for good, and I want to explicate it a little bit because it definitely kind of solves and resolves a lot of theological issues as well that we might have in our minds. This phrase, God works together, comes from the, from the original language, synergeo. And this is an important word that I think means more than we think. Synergeo actually is the word that we get synergy from. And broken down, S-Y-N means alongside of. Sin means in tandem with. So ergos, synergeo, ergos means to work. And so this is where we get energy from. So synergy means to work in tandem. The relationship context that is being spoken of here, though, in this scripture is that we are working in tandem with God to bring about good things through suffering. So we have a role to play in this. In the synergeo, God is not just working by God alone. God is not just working alone. He's working in tandem with us. Well, a lot of people believe that God is the only one at play in our relationship, that that is, is monogistic, that God is the only one that's putting in the effort. But this is not what the scripture says. It says God is working together with us, with the free agents that he created, the angels and the human beings. We are the ones that were created to be in relationship with God and have our own energy. Therefore, God is producing energy, and we're producing energy, and God is working with us in this process of the production of energy together in tandem to bring about good even in the midst of suffering. So God is working for the good everywhere. But this scripture specifically is saying that God uses the people who love him to bring good out of suffering or good out of evil that the people who love God work with tandem with God to bring out of the midst of crisis, maybe even chaos, even out of the depths of evil, something good, and maybe can find something good even in the darkness. Well, sometimes in the darkness, we don't see the good. And this is why we need to tap deep into our strength of understanding and also our habitus in order to respond in good ways in the long game of how we understand the world. Well, this takes a practice of something. And I want to bring up this heavy word, and that word is called trust. It takes the practice of trust. And I would say that our human condition, just who we are and how I understand myself, I don't automatically trust. And I think the nature of human nature is not to trust and to take the, the reins and do it ourselves, let's say. Yet when things get bad enough and completely out of our control, 
we at a point need to practice trust. And this is the habitus that we need to practice in order to engage in it when we are disillusioned in the emotion of the pain of suffering. Because when we show trust, that is one of the foundational principles of being able to work together to get things accomplished even in the midst of pain. So I do not believe that God created created suffering in the world and causes bad things to happen that would create suffering in anyone's life. But I do believe that God has infinite intelligence and infinite wisdom to think through a plan for everyone so that we are not left to figure out suffering on our own. We have finite knowledge, finite love, finite intelligence, and finite wisdom. And that's why it's difficult to even imagine God with us in any capacity, really. Why, with all the people involved in the world and all the problems, why would God care about little old me, right? Well, with infinite intelligence and infinite love, God loved everyone, loves everyone with God's full capacity of love and helps everyone with God's full capacity of intelligence. So God can anticipate every possibility of everyone infinitely, and God can respond with wisdom in that pain, with intelligence in that suffering. So if you think about life as a chess game, how many possible games are there on a chessboard? They actually have tried to calculate this, and no one has the energy, time, or will to calculate such a thing because the number is an infinite number of possibilities. There's an infinite number of plays on a chessboard. It is unimaginable. Well, this is kind of like life. Whatever the opponent does, God in all his wisdom has the move that can block that opponent, no matter the move. So sometimes, though, in a game, you lose pieces. Those losses, and I'm not going to downplay those losses or, or take that pain away, those losses sometimes are very painful. But losses and suffering does not equate to losing the game. Every move moves the game forward to God's win and will work in God's favor. Well, you need wisdom to problem solve. And you need wisdom if you have to figure something out. And you need wisdom to battle opponents. If you are controlling everything, monogism, there is no wisdom in controlling everything. So the motivation for trust in God is God's wisdom. Why would I trust in this relationship in the midst of suffering? Because God has an infinite wisdom, unimaginable wisdom, that can work in partnership with me, in synergio with me, to bring about good in the situation. Well, in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 7 through 9, it says this, we talk about God's wisdom, which has been hidden as a secret. God determined this wisdom in advance, before time began for our glory. It is a wisdom that none of the present-day rulers have understood, because if they did understand it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But this is precisely what is written. God has prepared things for those who love him that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or even hasn't crossed the mind of any human being. So it was this wisdom that the world doesn't understand, didn't understand and doesn't understand, nor relied upon, nor relies upon. 
Yet it is this wisdom that we need to work in tandem with God in order to bring about good in our suffering. So why would I want to do this? Well, again, I'll, I'll say that practicing this habitus, it strengthens our character, it strengthens our person, it produces hope. In Romans 5, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him and we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems. Now, that, sh- that needs to be translated. We take pride. We let it shine. We let our problems we have confidence even in the midst of our problems. We have confident exaltation in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So endurance leads to character, which leads to hope. So hope and witness is what our lives need to speak. This is why I would trust in the Lord in the midst of my suffering because of his wisdom. Why would I want to work in tandem with God to produce good? Because hope and witness speak. We give hope and witness to the people around us so that they can build on our shoulders a life that is stronger and more wise and stronger in character because of the hope in the midst of suffering that we displayed to the world. Think about the people in your life and how they respond. I watch all kinds of people endure the slightest of pain and they have no strength. They're so reactive that they can't stand firm in conviction or make sure that important things matter and what's, what's big remains big and what's small remains small. When faced with suffering, they lie, they ignore, they abandon, or they become so emotionally re- reactive in completely inappropriate ways just to deflect pain. Therefore, producing no endurance, producing no character, and producing no hope. But then I know people who give me strength just by looking at them, just by experiencing their presence. I see endurance, I see character, I see hope. I see their habitus, I see their reaction, their interpretation of the world, and also their reaction to it. And I want to model my life after theirs and do do what they do and say what they say. Yet I know their true character is forged through the fire of suffering. And working in tandem with God to produce this good character out of it. So what is the good? The good that God is producing is the good in us. Not just good, great, grand, I'm glad that worked out and great things happened because good things happened and I suffered a little bit and all things worked out. That's not the point of this verse and that's how it's interpreted a lot of times. Great good things are happening inside of you and me, the good of endurance, the good of character, and the good of hope that others can rely upon. So this verse shows me that suffering will not have the last word in my life, that endurance, character, and hope will have that last word. And the world will see this as a beacon of light to find their way also in the darkness in wilderness. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for character and hope and endurance that you are producing inside of us, even in the midst of suffering. Thank you that you are working in tandem with us to produce that good. Lord, I pray for anyone that is suffering today. I pray peace upon their life. I pray for reprieve from their suffering if they need it. Lord, I pray that you would be present and they would experience and feel, Lord, your presence in their life, even in the midst of their pain. Lord, I pray that through this process of suffering that we all go through, have gone through, are going through even today, Lord, that we can find our way and navigate through it and our eyes would be pointed towards the truth that you are there and you are producing good character, good endurance, and good hope inside of us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.